You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling in the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to those people who were here before us, who met the challenges of their own time in a way that brought forth their true creativity and innovation in their own lives. So I call out to these people who carry that rich legacy of all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines. And I ask them to stand with us here today to help us, to whisper in our ears, to be that hand at our back, perhaps even when we need it to give us a little shove into those things things we really should be doing. We ask these ancestors to stand with us that we might learn from those who have gone before us and stand in our own time as the living in a good way, bringing forth those innovations and those places of creativity that we are born to do and to hold strong and true to those things that humans need to do to stay well in the world. May we do all of this in a way that we become better humans. And may we become better humans in a way that open the way for those who are coming. And I reach through these human ancestors beyond them to those who were here long before there was ever a human. I reach out to those ever more ancient and old ancestors of all the rest of life that is here on this planet with us. We could not exist, literally could not exist without this life. And I give gratitude to these ancient ancestors. And I ask these ancestors to come to us as well, to help us to recognize our own true nature, to be what humans were born to bring, to bring those blessings and songs and prayers into the world in a way that we make medicine, in a way that we make beauty, and in a way that we face the challenges of our time to create what is asking to be born. We ask these ancestors who gather all around us to help us as humans to take our place in that grave great web of life in a way that brings the intricacies of that web into even greater beauty. And as all these ancestors gather around us, let us gather ourselves to draw our mind from wherever it might be in all the many places into our own head and to move our conscious awareness from our head to our heart and in the next breath from our heart to our belly And then from our belly, let us reach down and take a moment to touch the earth. And let's touch into the earth and give gratitude for this day. Give gratitude for life. Give gratitude for beauty and diversity and even the challenges on the path. But let us give thanks for the wholeness of it, for all that it brings into our life. Those gifts we have learned and grown from and those gifts we have not yet figured out what the hell they really mean. But may we find the meaning and draw that into our lives as well. For the rich diversity along this path and the wonderful miracle of life itself, we give gratitude to the earth and begin to send our energy down through all the layers of the earth, down and down and down through the layers of the earth until we get to the very center of the earth. And there in the center, may we plunge our energy deeply into this place of darkness and stillness and silence. This place that is before the potential of all that is here on the face of the earth. This energy that is before beauty, before abundance, before diversity. That which replenishes and nourishes and rejuvenates all that makes life what it is for us. We give gratitude to this energy. And we move deeply into it and draw it in, in our breath in our physical body, in our energy body. We draw the energy of the earth up and drawing it up and let it infuse the cells of our physical body, let it infuse the channels of our energy body and let this rejuvenating, refreshing, restorative energy rise up into ourselves as we draw up all the wisdom of the earth, how to be here in form, to be manifest in a good way. 
and to do so in a way that inspires others to be manifest in a good way themselves. And we call this energy up and we ask the energy of the earth to help us to understand how to be grounded in our body and in the place and time that we are in to do so in a way that gives us a sense of where we stand and what we stand for. And may we build our sense of home and family and belonging on this energy that rings true with heart and meaning. And as we build that sense of home, let us do so in a way that is not bound by place and by people, but is open, open to all places and to all people. And let us do so in a way that allows us to begin to understand, to be open within ourselves to all those places and all those people that live within us and that we bring everybody to the table and let the table be laid out with a rich feast. And let us do this in a way that provokes us to become the men and women we were truly born to be. Let us not slack here, but let us step up. And we call out the energy of the earth to help us to be that land on which we stand, to be that ground from which we can leap. And we call out to this energy to help us understand connection and interconnection and that we can come into right relationship with ourselves, right relationship with others, with our environment, with the spirit world, and do so in a way that we might be blessed in this day with a moment of sensing our place in the great web of life. And as we reach into that web, and find ourselves within it. May we take our right relationship with ourself from that. And as we draw the energy of the earth up from our bellies to our heart and our heart to our mind, let us reach up and out through the sky and whatever weather it holds for you here today. As the whole planet moves through transitional times, let us reach out through the weather, out through the atmosphere and all the way up into the cosmos. Reaching out into the cosmos, touching the heavenly bodies with our energy and being touched back to touch all that is radiant there above with our own energy and allowing ourselves to be touched by that radiant divine energy from above. And as we reach all the way to the highest power of the universe, by whatever way we know this energy, whatever name we call it, let us reach out to it all the way to that energy. Let that energy touch us. Let us be in it and it in us. Let us connect in oneness with this energy and draw it down. Drawing down all the wisdom of the cosmos. Drawing into our lives the great essence energy of blessing. Drawing into our day. Drawing into these proceedings. We call in the energy of protection around us. And the energy of commitment and devotion. That we not only know where we stand but we're going to do something with it. Make it manifest in some way in the world. We call this energy in from above that we feel the benevolence of our universe, that we feel the inspiration and the illumination that is there for us, and we call in the beneficence of this experience that is so much larger than we ever remember in the moment, and let it let us call it in that we know that our love and our energy is renewed again and again through our exchange of our little universe with this great big universe. And so we call in the energy from above, drawing it down through our body and connecting it to the center of the earth. And so we feel these two great legendary lovers, earth and sky, connected, encompassing the whole universe in our awareness. And let us feel our own exchange with that energy. Let that big love of these two energies awaken our little love in our heart and awaken our heart and the power in the heart to change to take risks, to be vulnerable, to be clever. We call that energy awake in the heart and we open up that crucible of transformation in the very center of it all. And we draw up the fiery passions that we carry in our belly for why we are each here and in each in our own lives. We draw that energy up into the heart and we call down the crystal clarity of the mind, which is our ability to see the reality around us. And to innovate, create, be inspired, and to be, illuminate the way to do what it is that we've come here to do. And we draw those energies together in the heart. And they must touch, they must connect, they must dance together to give birth to that third and most sacred thing. Some sense, some energy, some awareness of why we are here. And may we find in that very same heart the courage to do something large or small in this day to bring those gifts into manifestation. And I give enormous gratitude to all of the energies around us that help each one of us in each day 
to do what we have come here to do. May what needs to be said be said here today. May what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I want to give great gratitude to Beth and Despina, to Julie, David, Lynn, Malama, Valerie, Melissa, and Mary, and all of the listeners who have donated to the show. If you're listening for the first time, the show is listener-supported. And it's through your generous donations that the bills that need to be paid to keep the show and its archives available to everyone for free out there on the Internet. Um, It is because of your generous donations that we are able to keep doing this now into our seventh year. And with much gratitude to the people that are able to donate financially, um, I want to also open up that possibility that um, if you haven't yet, you can. You can go to whyshamanismnow.com. Not only will you find the archives there, but you can also find the support button, scroll down, donate any amount, large or small, in any currency, and it all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And I am deeply grateful for your support in that. And I am equally grateful for the other means of support, for the other ways that you um, support the show in growing, Um, the comments that you make, the questions that you ask, and the ideas for shows that you offer. These are all um, also part of keeping the show alive and well. So thank you for all of the many things that you are all doing to keep the show vital and relevant and allowing all of us to explore how do we actually apply shamanism in our contemporary lives. So thank you very much. We are live here today. If you'd like to ask any questions about the topic today, you can call in at 512-772-1938 or you can Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or you can simply email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org and um, I'd be happy to entertain your questions on the air or in um, shows that follow. So today's, uh, the topic of today's show is releasing fear and letting go of evil. And um, I was preparing for the show and I was out at dinner last night and in the background the music was uh, Free Your Mind and Your Ass Will Follow and from um, Funkadelic, I think. Um, And I was chuckling as I was listening to this because this is, of course, the essence of... um, the ideas that we've been endeavoring to develop um, over time here on the show, which is to give us a way to think about um, evil differently than we have for the last several thousand years. Um, If we're going to be new people who are going to write a new story for a new world, then we're going to have to think about things in a new way. And the idea of good and evil as this great battle is deeply, deeply embedded in the old story. So as I was listening to Free Your Mind and Your Ass Will Follow, this, this uh, music in the background last night and thinking about the show, I, you know, I agree that this is all about freeing your mind. But only the mind thinks that it's going to be simple to free itself because it's just not that simple because it's the mind itself that is the fertile soil for the viral energy that is ultimately at the root of what we call evil. Because you see, shamanic people see evil very differently than the dominant paradigms of the last several thousand years. So today I'd like to bring several shows together, or try at least, and talk about um, what do we actually need to do to change our relationship with evil. So we the people must get past thinking of life in the light of good and evil. Because that dualistic idea itself is a construct of that viral mind parasite. And it's that uh, either or black and white antagonistic dualistic thinking that is driven by this mind parasite. It keeps us fighting and as long as we're fighting, we're not freeing our mind. So let's, I'd like today to look at these three shows that are in the archives in which we try to I- explore a more shamanic uh, perspective about evil and so um, I'd like to look at those shows through the lens of the two shows that we did with Brad and Hillary Keeney or the two shows about the Bushmen of the Kalahari and their warnings about the trickster mind and how to avoid getting lost in the maze of the trickster mind um, okay so in the archives we have a show with Paul Levy about Wetiko 
We have a show with Hank Wesselman during which I tried to have a show about the kahuna concept of the deceivers or Eipa. Uh But mostly that was a show about Hank. Um, and then we have a show um, – with Betsy. We have many shows with Betsy, but this particular show with Betsy was talking about um, how she encounters evil in her extractions and depossession work in her shamanic practice. And so I tried through these shows to introduce a new way of understanding evil in our midst. And I'm certainly not alone in these efforts of trying to get us to change our story about evil. I mean, we certainly have Charles Eisenstein's work um, in his writing and on all of his efforts now out there in the world, um, as well as articles by Itzhak Berry, The Shamanic Truth of Evil Spirits. You can Google that name and read that. It's about how Itzhak, who didn't believe in evil, came to understand it through his perspective and his shamanic work. And there's recently an article by um, John Russell Mueller. Uh, from Holland, who's a practitioner in Holland, who is sharing a very different perspective on evil spirits. And the, the title of that article is called Evil Spirits Are a Fact of Life. So obviously many people, particularly those involved in shamanism, are trying to advance or at least engage or inspire a conversation about evil um, and uh, how we can look at it in ways that are different from this ag- antagonistic dualism of this this great epic battle of good and evil, um, because th- that uh, drives us into judgment and it propagates the great lie of separation. And it keeps us from looking at the whole situation um, f- through the lens that is very complex uh, but simple complex and simple which is this idea of complementary dualism that is really found at the heart of shamanic thinking and in that perspective there is a wholeness in this whole conversation about the this viral energy that in that uh, takes root in our mind um, encourages a certain kind of thinking the thinking leads to separation the separation leads to down the road eventually into the kind of choices we would consider uh, choices that lead to evil in the world. Um, So this isn't so much a debate about whether or not there is evil. It's really a conversation about what is it. Um, and, And more importantly, what do we do about it? Because this idea um that evil is something outside of ourselves is stuck in our minds. It, it's such a great cop-out to be able to say the evil is coming from over there. You know, whether we say it's coming from Satan or Bush's axis of evil or whatever we want to say, that ability to say the evil is this entity that is over there, that is not me. So that, that idea of evil being something outside of our minds is stuck in our minds, literally. And so let's talk about this then. So how do we free our minds? If that's where the evil is stuck, how do we free our minds so that our ass can follow? You know, how do we get out of this mess? Okay, so shamanic people have understood, um, well, before I even go there, why do we care? Why do I care? I care because this is one of the places that I feel the teachings I have received through my work with helping spirits over the last three decades has been very, very different than the teachings I received from my culture. And I find the teachings I receive from my culture don't work. I feel like the dominant teachings around good and evil are simply encouraging people to behave badly, more and more deeply badly over my lifetime. And so the teachings, if if the goal of the teachings is for us to be better people, they're not working. And yet I see um, shamanic teachings, not only mine, but many people's shamanic teachings doing a really good job of helping people begin to be better people. They used to do a good job of it, I believe, but I see it today. And that's more important not to romanticize the past, but to see how today people are becoming better people. Right? So this is why I think it's important to bother. So shamanic people around the globe have understood from the beginning of there being people on the globe 
that it's the mind that gets the virus, whether we call it Watiko or Aipa or Archons or whatever we call it, humanity has understood it from the beginning of humans on earth as a virus that invades the mind, not as this battle between good and evil, as this, this other outside of ourselves. That very story, I believe, is a product of the mind virus. But prior to that, earlier than that, really bad idea is just simply the understanding of this mind parasite that cannot exist without a host and so the fundamental issue here is don't be a good host to the mind virus right and that's what I want to talk about today is how do we do that how do we refuse to host the mind virus so we can truly free our mind and so regardless of what they call it, because of course shamanic people around the world all have different languages and the languages have different words, but the words, though they may be different, have similar meaning. That is talking about this viral energy that has no objective, independent existence separate from our own minds. And this is why the Bushmen of the Kalahari dance to raise the heat in the body, to cleanse their arrows. What are they cleansing their arrows of? You know, they're cleansing their internal energy of the virus, of the mind virus. And they're raising their, their heat and in that raising their heart so it can envelop the mind. Because their perspective is the trickster is always an option. That is always there as a choice we can make. And that we do. As humans, we do. And we must choose then to keep cleansing and cultivating our self, our mind of the virus so that our mind doesn't get hijacked. Because it's not an either or thing. And this is what the mind virus tries to get us, get us to think. Well, it's either this or that, you know, so once you've gone a little bit sideways, you know, just keep going because it's either this or that. Whereas the Kalahari Bushmen are really showing us no. It's breathing in, breathing out. It's a constant potential issue in our life and we need to live in such a way that we don't host the virus. It's just like physical viruses that bring flu, for example is that what we need to do is not get a flu shot. It's not an either or. What we need to do is live in a way that supports our immune system. So when the virus encounters our physical immune system, we don't come down with the flu. And similarly, we want to live in a way that our psycho-emotional immune system encounters this mind parasite, this mind virus, and it doesn't take root. There might be a moment but it doesn't ultimately take root. And this is all about our choice. And the most important thing is understanding that this is not an either or thing. This is definitely not about good or evil. It's about understanding the mind and its vulnerability. What makes the mind vulnerable to mind parasites? And I, I believe, what does this have to do with shamanism? I believe that Many of the social structures embedded in shamanic cultures, pre-contact shamanic cultures, not so much today, but in the beginning, what people who first met these cultures wrote about and how those cultures functioned, that these, these social norms were designed entirely to give people the information they need about what to do, the kinds of choices to make that help them to be people that are not vulnerable to the mind parasite. That these are free-ranging psychic entities that need a mind to live in. So if we don't give them minds to live in, they grow weak. We give them minds to live in and they grow strong. And the last world that just came to its close so this new world can open, that last world was run by mind parasite people absolutely around the globe. And the mind parasites tricked us. The trickstery thing tricked people into carrying the parasites across the gap between the worlds. And so we have them in the new world to deal with. So how do we deal with it, right? Okay, so 
Why do we find, or why do they, why do the mind parasites find your mind ready and welcoming as a place to move in? Because of fear. For contemporary people, for us. Because of fear. Or more precisely, your choice as a contemporary person to harbor fear in your mind. Your choice to allow the news stories to validate your right to harbor fear in your mind. It is a choice that you are making to harbor fear in your mind. Yes, if you harbor fear in your mind, your mind is vulnerable to the viral infection. Because ultimately, fear is about fearing evil. Or more precisely, the fear that somewhere deep inside of you, you are evil. So ultimately, this is all about people being afraid of themselves. So in reality, you're simply unknown to yourself. That's why you're here. So to come to know the fullness and the authenticity of this life is why you're here in the body. And it's unknown to us. That's why we came to discover it. So of course, you feel uncertain at your deepest core. Of course, you don't know at your deepest core. That's the point. You don't know that deep truth of yourself yet. But there's no reason to fear that. And certainly no reason to fear that at the root of that unknown is evil. It's just unknown. There's no reason to be afraid of the dark. So the idea of good and evil as these two options has been championed for several thousand years by religions and governments and educational systems. And I feel really confident at this stage in my life in saying that that way of understanding the evil isn't correct. And I say that for one reason, because it's not working, as I said earlier. Teaching people to understand evil in this way is parasite thinking. It is a product of the mind virus. So obviously, since thinking in this way, um, th so this is, this is obviously true because thinking in this way has supported people literally all over the world in becoming more and more easily swayed to do cruel things all over the world, including America. More and more easily, people remain silent more and more easily people choose not to act more and more easily more and more people allow the innocent and the weak to be preyed upon when they could do something and more and more easily people look the other way when the system is unjust and more and more often people use their religion or their government perspective to justify that behavior this is why I say thinking about evil in the old way isn't working because it's simply making us more vulnerable to the virus. People are becoming more and more easily swayed in my short lifetime, not less easily swayed. So this system of thinking is not effectively helping people to become better people. And yet this is at the core of what I believe our relationship with our helping spirits is all about. It's not about turning us into shamans. Our helping spirits show up to every single one of us if we ask to help every single one of us to become better humans. Better humans stand up in the face of injustice. Better humans cultivate a courageous heart. Better humans find a way to speak up. Better humans choose as adults not to be cruel because when they were cruel as children, the good parents around them helped them realize the reason they felt so crappy is because they were cruel. So we the people need to change our perspective. And so that's what all those shows were for about evil, to start to poke our brains and get us to start thinking differently. So we have Wetiko. So Jack Forbes, in a book that Paul Levy is drawing on, explains it in this way, that indigenous North American people have been tracking a psychic virus for many centuries called Wetiko in Cree. So Wetiko is a Cree word, and there are similar names for this in other languages. But Wetiko is a true illness of soul 
or spirit and is at the root of humanity's inhumanity to itself. And this is true whether we're talking about a human to another human or you, human being, to yourself. Humanity's inhumanity to itself. And the infestation of Watiko in our minds creates a shared collective nightmare. I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. So then we have the deceivers, which is a kind of eipa. And so let's keep in mind that in ancient Hawaiian thought, eipa means extraordinary, incomprehensible, abnormal, peculiar, miraculously powerful, and sometimes deceitful. So we're not talking about eipa in general. We're talking about the deceivers. There's some sort of a misunderstanding about that out there. But anyway, again, this a deep concept in ancient Hawaiian thinking, and these are people that deeply understood love. And then we have the mind parasites named by the ancient Gnostics. They called them the archons, and they infiltrate and subvert the workings of our mind in a way that stands between us and our um, innate relationship with a truly transcendent sense of oneness. So in other words, propagates the lie of separation gets into our mind and encourages us to continue to believe in the feeling that we are separate instead of understanding how to feel in deeper in a more transcendent place to our oneness with all things and so those who are listening for the first time let me review a bit and point you toward um, Paul Levy's book Dispelling Watiko Breaking the Curse of Evil and um, the Hank Wesselman book we were reviewing is The Bowl of Light. And these are in the um, archives. Uh, but uh, the Kahuna teachings that Hank is referring to are also widely available if you just Google the deceivers, Kahuna, or something like that on the internet. Anyway, the whole point is, just in brief, the human mind has a great capacity to deceive itself. And this is where the mind virus can hook in. Um, and deeper, the deeper into self-deception de- that we choose to live, which means self-deception in terms of arrogance and ego or self-deceptions in terms of lack of self-love, lack of self-worth. These are all self-deception. And so the deeper in that self-deception we choose to live, the easier a prey we are for Watiko. The more we dive into the manifestation of our own authenticity, the stronger our energetic immune system becomes and the more immune we are moment to moment to Watiko. And so it's a choice that we make whether we're going to be vulnerable to the virus or whether we're going to have a strong immune system that is going to um, repel in a sense that virus um, in a natural way. Um, So The other thing to remember is those who are sensitive, those of you that consider yourself sensitive or psychics or empaths, and yet those of you who still choose not to beef up your energy body because of it, you are easy, easy prey to a Tico because the mind parasites engage in that creative and flexible realm in every human, which is this mental, emotional uh, or psycho-emotional realm. The mind-body connection, um, sorry, not the mind-body, the spirit-body connection is grounded in reality. It's, a, it's, a, it's the primary relationship. The mind and the emotion are constantly changing. They're related to each other, they affect each other, and they're constantly changing. And that, that creative realm of mind-emotion that influences each other and constantly changes is very plastic and pliable is um, the ripe ground, the fertile soil, um, either for Watiko, for the virus to settle into the mind, or if we swing energy to the other end of that spectrum and really cultivate our emotional body and our energy body, then we're cultivating the very immune system necessary to bolster the quality of mind that is not available to the parasite. Okay, so 
Makua, who is the ancient Hawaiian teacher that Hank is talking about in A Bowl of Light, says that the Eipa are accomplished shapeshifters who are good at mimicking. They can assume forms that are meaningful to the ones they choose to deceive, meaning Witiko in your brain chooses forms that will easily deceive you. They are by nature devious and their motivation is deception. That is their whole point, that they are trying to deceive you into letting them live in your mind. They operate through illusion and they are masters of this practice. They cloak themselves in our form and then we learn to assume that that form is us. They fool us into buying their false version of who we are and this is uh so those of you who are deeply invested in your false self your mind is easily preyed upon by Watiko. so we keep forgetting the fundamental part of the whole understanding of this virus which is they cannot exist autonomously they cannot exist separate from us Makua continues that they are mental forces that have the ability to intrude into the human mind and all the time. That's why it's not helpful to think about it as either good or bad, either good or evil, but to think of it more like the way cold bacteria and flu viruses are present all the time. The question is, does your immune system keep them at bay or not, right? So, Makua says that these forces are present all the time. They operate through subterfuge and psychic stealth. They are adversaries who are drawn to humans because they wish to acquire our human capacity for creative imagination. And so, in other words, they use your capacity for creative imagination to create a world in your own mind and deceive you into thinking that world that supports you letting them live in your head is you. So all of you that rationalize your addiction, rationalize your feeling like crap about yourself, rationalize an egotistical stance in life, rationalize why to be greedy, rationalize all these different things in your mind, guess who? Guess who's helping you do that? So that's what Makua is saying. They're using your creative imagination to keep winning the argument in your own head. And this is why they engage in this psycho-emotional realm of our being. Because that's this creative imagination, this gooey, plastic, ever-changing, really interesting aspect of who we are. Nonetheless, we have to remember these are not possessing spirits. We allow them in. We choose to allow them in. They, they're, they're sneaky and devious, but we do allow them in. We let them grow in our minds. This means that we let them not only infect our mind, but then we let them affect the minds of anyone that we touch. And what's fascinating to me about Watiko actually is what I call the hamster ball effect. Um, I've told this story before, but basically the hamster ball is my little brother used to have a hamster and it had this plastic ball about the size of a soccer ball. It was clear plastic, hard plastic, and it had holes in it and it, it was threaded around the center, around the equator. And you could open it up, stick the hamster in and close it and then the hamster could run around the house and not get eaten by the cat or the dog or whatever or the snake or whatever other pets you have. But the thing about the ball is it was this illusion of freedom. Because, of course, the hamster could never go where he really wanted to go when the cat came in the room, which was under the couch, right? Because the ball wouldn't fit under the couch. So the hamster only had this illusion of freedom. He could run and run and run and run, even end up falling down the stairs, but that ultimately he couldn't go anywhere the ball wouldn't let him. And yet he felt freedom inside the ball. And this is exactly what Watiko does. Um, so Paul Levy says in his book that we are allowed our seeming freedom and the ability to live our quote-unquote normal lives as long as it doesn't challenge, threaten, or thwart the deeper agenda of the deceivers. And so this is, you know, many people ask me, why would I want to do the four years of training with you if you're not going to make me a shaman? 
well, it's not my job to make you a shaman. But this is why you would want to do that. Because the whole point of the four years is to gain the skills that we need to dismantle our false self. To become people who are immune in our minds to these deceivers. Not because we're suddenly special enlightened people and we're suddenly immune. But because we're everyday ordinary humble humans who have the skills necessary, who have cultivated the practice, who have the quality of relationship with spirit and continue to cultivate those energies such that our psycho-emotional immune system is strong and we are not easy prey for the Witiko. So this virus bedazzles, bewitches, bedevils our consciousness, as Makua says, in such a way that we become blind to the underlying assumed viewpoints from which we habitually perceive. And this is how Witiku begins to be embedded in family systems, in cultural systems, and ultimately in national systems. This sense of we no longer see assumptions that we're making about reality and treating as true that are not even necessarily true. So with all of this, uh, my disappointment in my own shows with these people is that we were never able to really get to the so. What do we do about all of this? We understand, okay, we can understand this evil as this virus in our mind. So what do we do about this? We never got there, frankly, in any of the shows. We tried, but we didn't. So what do we do with this information? Because that's all that really matters, right? What do we do with it? Does it change our ability to be better humans in the world? How do we deal with this requires that we get out of our minds. And this is the piece I feel like the Bushmen dancing in the Kalahari bring in is that need to heat, to cleanse their arrows, to raise their heart. That we must view, quote unquote, view ourselves and our invaded mind from an entirely different vantage point. That's what I believe the Bushmen and the Kalahari are doing when they're talking about that particular kind of dancing together. Is that they're, they're raising their own energetic level literally in the moment to perceive of the mind and its infestation with Vatico virus from a perspective from the heart that shows a path to freedom, to free the mind to cleanse and free the mind. I mean, if you'll notice, all of this stuff about Watiko or Aipa or Archons or whatever you want to call them, they don't inhabit the heart. They don't take over the body. The parasite is a mind parasite and we cannot fix it in the mind. That we must choose to cultivate the wisdom of the heart as a strong and aligned voice within us. And this for me has been the greatest gift in my shamanic practice. So the way, what I see as valuable in a shamanic practice is about cultivating the strong voice of the heart wisdom in the body and a strong voice of the body's wisdom. So that in our culture, sorry, in our, in our American culture and most of the Western world, we cultivate an excessively strong mental voice. We tend to listen only to the voice of the mind and consequently make ourselves sitting duck, ducks for the Wichiko virus. But for me, the change in my life because of shamanic practice is the cultivation of a really strong voice of the heart. I mean, I have classes, a whole, whole part of the cycle teachings is about awakening the courageous heart. And understanding that the wisdom of the healer is not about how to heal, not about how to become a shamanic healer, but about how to live well. So healing isn't necessary, right? Healing is only what happened. The need for healing is what happens when we haven't actually remembered or had the ability to live well, to care for our body, for our presence here as a human in a good way. Then we grow ill. I'm not saying that from a place of judgment. I'm saying that from a place of understanding what the helping spirits are doing in our life is to help us raise all the wisdoms in the human so that they share together our decision-making process. And since the Watiko virus has already invaded our minds, 
It's already there from our past. It's here. It's there. It's invaded. You don't have a choice at this point other than to become the kind of person who can kick it out. Right. And so for me, this is the great value of shamanism in our time because I look at what others who are understanding what Tico are offering as a path out and it's not a path out. It's still in the mind. So, for example, Paul explains the paradox, right? So if we perceive of Watiko as being real or the other, like, you know, Satan, and truly um, existing independently of ourselves and therefore a sustainable threat to us, this is, you know, the, the evil is over there, is the other people, the other religion, the other nation, the other person, my neighbor, whatever. So then this virus of the mind will then inspire, magnify, and feed off our fear. Okay, so that's the old way of thinking. So conversely, if we think that the Watiko virus is merely a function of our imagination and is hence unreal, it is something that can simply be ignored. Right, now we're talking about sort of new age spiritual bypass, right? Something we can just ignore. Then we have fallen under its spell in a different way such that it can be unrestrainedly acting. It can act itself out through us beneath our conscious awareness. So notice this is the same paradigm of the sort of the great argument going on right now in the whole human potential movement, new age, self-actualization, spiritual transformation kind of movement, which is the camp, always do your shadow work. If you're not dealing with your shadow work, you're not working perspective. Um, There's that group and they're counterbalanced with the don't ever talk about the negative things, don't think about negativity, just always stay positive camp, right? But the point is both camps fall prey to Batiko. That's the paradox of it. And while this is correct and very clear, uh, in Paul's books at least, it is precisely the kind of black and white thinking that will keep us under the spell of these deceivers. It, it becomes a circular mind game, and it is in and of itself the mind problem. The heart, on the other hand, if we could raise the heart, right, raise the heart up to embrace the mind, the heart understands the complementary dualism that holds that whole paradox, that is bigger than that paradox, the Watiko real, Watiko unreal paradigm. Because the greatest power of the heart is both real and unreal. The greatest power of a human is both real and unreal. That my heart is a strong presence in the reality of my body. But the greatest power of my heart exists in its energetic manifestation in the world. That is, quote unquote, not real. And humans are the same way. Our greatest potential is that authenticity we have not yet made manifest. Is, is that thing that we've come here to do? Is that which we are just creating today? So it's real and not real. So why is there even an argument about that? Because of the Watiko bug in our head, that's why. Right? So the heart holds both the real and unreal. and doesn't get in an argument about it. It doesn't care. It holds the real and the unreal and the third thing, the path to freedom. The heart holds both realities in their dynamic tension, in their true nature. In their true nature, they complete a oneness, and neither is the path. It isn't only shadow work or never thinking of anything negative. It's about what happens when we embrace them both and find the third thing. And to do that, we have to raise the heart to encompass the mind so that our perspective on the entire landscape of this issue changes. So what do we do? I'd have promised I would get to what do we do. My belief is, and this comes not only from my practice, which is only a few decades old, but it is from the research for the encyclopedia that informs that and all that I've learned that informs that about pre-contact shamanic people. That we need to choose to spend our time and energy in cultivating a psycho-emotional immune system. Now, we also need to spend time and energy in cultivating our physical immune system. I totally believe in human beings accepting the reality of your human body 
and living in a way that makes that human body as happy as it can possibly be. And I don't mean happy as in, you know, drugs and chocolate and all of that. I mean the, the body itself is as happy and healthy and balanced as it can possibly be and making choices that allow that to be real. So it's all about the cultivation of your physical immune system and your psycho-emotional immune system. How do you do that? Okay, so we have to choose to cultivate the energy that we will live in, literally. And the only way we can do that is by affecting the energy that we have choice over. And the only energy we have choice over is our own. So this requires repetition. And repetition requires time. We call repetition and time invested in the same thing again and again. We call it practice. So I just spent the weekend with my Qigong master. And he talked and talked and talked to all of us who are supposedly Qigong practitioners about our need to practice more. But the point is the practices of shamanic people, the practices of Qigong and yoga and mantras and meditations, that these practices exist for one reason. Well, for many reasons. But the reason that is similar in all of them is they help us to cultivate a psycho-emotional or physical immune system that makes us immune to physical viruses and mind viruses. And that helps us be better people in the world. So we need to choose for our energy. We need to choose for our heart and choose for our body. And by energy... I mean uh, the energy body that is created when you take a physical body and you infuse it with a soul, with the spirit of a human or an animal or whatever, but let's just talk about humans, right? You infuse this entirely energetic being in this entirely physical being. An interface gets created and that's the energy body. And so the energy body needs to be cultivated as a healthy energetic aspect of your life and the choices you make are either strengthening your energy body or tearing it down and so if we want to become people who are immune to the Wetiko virus in our minds and free our minds to truly free our minds then we need to not focus in the mind we need to focus in the energy body the heart on the physical body. So we need to choose for our energy. From a shamanic perspective, that means what are you doing daily that's cultivating your relationship with the energies that are in your environment, your helping spirits, um, the elemental energies. For me, I wrap all of this together into what I call shamanic cosmology. And so the students that work with me work within a cosmology because it creates a whole coherent story about all of these energies and how do we cultivate our relationship with them. We do that through our altar practice. We do that through prayers, through blessings, through our actions throughout the day and through our journey. And in that to choose to create the relationship between your energy body and your heart, the, the, one of the most important aspects of that is the protection of your heart. That, that for all of the other things that need to happen, your heart also needs to be protected. Similarly, to choose to cultivate the energy that has to do with your energy body, physical body. And to literally cultivate your energy body. So we have shows about that. These, these are not new ideas. What I'm, all I'm trying to do today is put them together and focus them towards how do we come, how do we become people that are not easy prey for the Wetiko virus so that we support actions in the world that are contrary to the other actions in the world that are frankly evil, ultimately. Okay, so cultivate your energy body. Cultivate your heart protection. Cultivate grounding, boundaries, all of the things that have to do with the health and safety of your body in the world and cleanse. And this is the piece that I really see through the Kalahari Bushman is the need not just to maintain a status quo, but that part of 
because of Watiko, constant cleansing is necessary to cleanse the mind. It constantly wanders off, right? Cleanse the mind. Choose for the heart. Do the things that nourish your heart. Do not put them off. Do things that nourish your heart daily, weekly, monthly. Do what nourishes your heart. And it's different for different people. I personally think everybody needs to do the courageous heart work and get all four chambers of the heart operational so that we don't dominate our energy in one chamber of the heart and ultimately blow it out. Because that's what happens with people that do heart-based work across the board. Right? Use your heart. Risk engaging emotionally in your life. Use your heart emotionally. And use your heart physically. Sweat. Make your heart strong. But have a relationship with your heart as a physical being and as an energy being. And do what you love. Do not put it off. And choose for your body. Choose the food that make your body balanced and well. Choose the activities that make your body balanced and well. Cultivate strength and flexibility in your body. That when our body is balanced and our heart is balanced and our energy body is balanced, we are not so easily convinced by the virus. Not at all. So these things can cultivate the foundation then for a strong psycho-emotional immune system. And that would maintain your status quo. And so that's one of the things we need to do first is we need to be able to maintain or to create a status quo then worthy of maintenance. So first we have to be able to maintain it. There's no point in doing all of this crazy transformational work. That's fabulous transformational work and not being able to contain the transformations that you made. So creating the energy body, the heart wisdom body, the body's wisdom body to cultivate these things gives us the ability to maintain and sustain our certain status quo. Then we need to dive in and to change what needs to be changed in the status quo, to give ourselves a status quo worthy of our maintenance. And so what's important about this is that one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. So this is a pretty famous quote from Jung, but the point is how do we then make our status quo worthy of maintaining with our healthy psycho-emotional energy body? We do it by clearing, have a rigorous and true clearing practice. When necessary, we transform energies we find stuck in the shadow. When necessary, we go get soul retrieval healing that we need. If you are diagnosed with PTSD, whether the childhood trauma one or current time, I don't care where it comes from, you are in a state of soul loss. Get your soul retrievals as part of your healing process. Getting a diagnosis of PTSD doesn't mean you get to sit there now in it. Yes, it's an explanation, um, but it's not an excuse. It's important to get your soul retrievals. Do ancestral healing when you start to get the message or you start to notice this is a pattern in your family. And work with your helping spirits. These are all ways that we can transform, that we can, it, it, it's back to the piece that's important about what Paul is saying is that the Wetiko virus itself shows us what needs to be transformed when we're willing to look at it in the light of a loving heart. We're willing to accept it without judgment, without fear, and accept what it is. It's like any other shadow work. It points us towards what needs to be healed. And Paul, Paul speaks really eloquently about this. It goes at great length. And one of the stories he talks about is Buddha and Mara and how without the Mara, Buddha wouldn't have been challenged to come to enlightenment um, the problem, of course, is that story is out of reach for most of us. You know, reaching for enlightenment is not necessarily very satisfying for us. And I think that the very idea that we're reaching for enlightenment and complete self-actualization in and of itself is part of the mind game. It's the Wetiko continuing to transform, to seduce you into it's either this or that thinking. 
And I'm encouraging everyone to throw out the whole worries about enlightenment and self-actualization and all of that and just seek freedom. Seek to truly free your mind and do what is necessary to do that. The rest will follow. Because the other side of that is, you know, Paul speaks about the Watiko as transformation. Hank talks about reaching for the higher vibration that can hold it all. It's all still a mind game. The path is in the heart. Even the desire for enlightenment is still Watiko thinking. Reach for freedom. Free your mind. Truly free it. And your ass will follow. And probably some enlightenment too. But the path to freedom is led by a ferocious, loving warrior in the heart. I give enormous gratitude to my helping spirits, yours as well, and their endless patience. I give gratitude to the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone. May you find freedom in the next week.